0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, in more. Talking investing and getting into retirement and virtual cats. I know you're saying virtual cats. Where is he going with this one? Virtual cats are a thing. There's something called GDC. And I'm one of those people that anytime I see an acronym or letters and numbers string together, I'm like, what's that mean? And I can't help but read articles in newspapers. I love it. I prefer a real newspaper versus uh, Kindle, but that's because I hate trees. I've got a a long line of hating trees. I come from a long line of hating trees. My father hated trees. My father's father hated trees. Uh, I think I was related to Johnny Appleseed at one point in time who chopped down apple trees. So I've spent a couple days thinking about GDC and Gamers Developers Conference in San Francisco. And one of the things I did growing up as a kid was I played a lot of video games, a lot of video games. I want to say that I was born... There's not a bottle in my hand, but maybe a joystick. I had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, I had Clicovision and Television. With all these consoles, I probably had. I invested. I would probably be worth be you know hundreds of millions, right? I'm struck with how fast cities change, how fast states change, how fast the video game business has changed. And something that I absolutely hate are virtual goods. When your kid comes to you and they're like, Dad, I want to buy 1,400 gems. I'm like, well, 1,400 gems is going to cost you millions and millions of dollars. No, it's going to cost $4. I'm like, $1,400? You want $4 on something that is in your phone and goes away? So you basically want to play video games for $4. And that's the right answer, virtual goods. Building digital worlds where people want to spend a good chunk of their time and occasionally some money on cosmetic modifications is what these digital goods are all about. The idea that people spend real money on virtual objects, it's not new. It's been around forever and ever and ever. And whether you're Tencent or Activision or Electronic Arts or Valve, they've made millions of dollars selling new costumes Digital costumes, like, I remember Valve's got a game, Team Fortress, does that sound right? It's been a long time since I played it. And you could get, like, a chicken hat, but it cost you, like, 99 cents to, like, but no one else had the chicken hat. You're like, I'm cool, I got a chicken hat on. So, a lot of people kind of try to do it within reason. You know, you spend 40 to 60 bucks on a game, or you get it for free. So you go, I'll spend $15 dressing up my Overwatch character. Um, and that's your that's your budget, $15. So you have a budget for your video game character, just like you have a budget for you. This weekend, I'm going to go to the mall. I'm going to buy some clothes and get a cup of coffee. Oh, and maybe a beer and cheesecake. And suddenly, I, just, I broke my budget, right? Whoa. Last year, there was a, a really, really naughty, just just mean-spirited debate on ethics about Star Wars, Battlefront, and the way you, you, you'd see characters in commercial like Yoda and Chewbacca, and you're like, I want to play Yoda and Chewbacca. And then you realize that you have to spend like $60 on loot crates to maybe get them. Loot crates are kind of a, you spend a buck and maybe there's some ammo in there. Maybe there's... A crossbow in there, and maybe there is, oh, a stormtrooper. I got another stormtrooper, not uh, Chewbacca. Uh, I'm sorry, Chewie. If Chewbacca were to ask your sister out on a date, would you let him go? It's an ethical debate. Are you out of your mind? Man versus Wookiee. So that's the kind of debate that we had last year is, is it cool to tell gamers you have to spend money to potentially get a character that should probably come with it or looks like it came with it? So developers are still trying to figure out exactly how they can get away with charging for the right systems to get you happy and not feeling like your dad's freaked out that you're spending virtual money on clothes that aren't even real. There's, what I would refer to as an obsession. League of Legends came out in 2009. It's still a powerhouse. So to get people to stay for that long of a time and spending a little bit of money, Microsoft spot Minecraft a couple years ago. And to this day, it's going strong. So Ready Player One is the Steven Spielberg movie slash book that it's kind of got a virtual reality universe inside the movie and video game developers would love to have a virtual reality type universe where you keep coming back and you spend a little bit more money and a little bit more money and a little bit more money. Game makers are focused on building the same kind of worlds of interactive experiences and not just silly games Um, because silly game we tire of. And yeah, we may throw some money into it, Um, you know the jewelry quest and gym quests and things like that, where you're trying to move the candy quest and you're trying to get the bombs and you're like you were so close. If you only had two more moves, you would have absolute control. You would have won. But you kind of get bored of it after level 149. But you've spent 20 bucks. But they want you to go on 365 days a year. So there's something called cryo kitties, and it's a pretty extreme thought. There's a company called Cryo Kitties, and they just raised $12 million from Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square Ventures. It takes the idea that people want to own virtual objects to its logical extreme. Why should Blizzard own the skins when you buy an avatar in your game, the clothes? What if instead you could resell them? What if I bought it for a dollar, a chicken hat, and suddenly some, someone says, that's a crazy cool chicken hat. Can I sell it to them for a buck and a quarter? So this is called decentralizing. And it's less crazy than you can think. To think about, like, who owns your music that you've paid for when you die? Do you? Or does it revert back to Apple? Who owns the movies that you've downloaded, all the Star Wars movies that you wanted your kids to watch, but you accidentally died? And they're too depressed to go into your account. Designers and entrepreneurs right now are selling digital goods in what are essentially unproductive parts of our life. But if they can figure out ways of selling digital goods that are in the productive part of our life and that we could resell, that's where the game industry is moving. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
0: Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on
1: the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz.
2: And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Dilly
0: dilly. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. dilly, dilly. dilly, dilly.
1: dilly, dilly. Can I get a little What's up? Really? Is that still out there? What's up? Or taste great, less feeling. Taste great, less feeling.
2: Watching game What's
1: Yo, yo. I don't know which one I like more. Dilly Dilly or What's up? You remember Spuds McKenzie? The reason I bring that up is that sometimes things do change, and I want to talk a little bit about change right now. Um, there's been a lot of stories recently. The New York Times did one last week that Silicon Valley is over. They basically talked to a uh, tech investor who was in Detroit, and she goes, "Wow, this is lovely here. Like, look at all these downtown buildings, and look, we don't even have this in San Francisco." And like, it was kind of noted in the story that like. People in the Bay Area kind of get caught up with being people in the Bay Area, and they kind of get used to things, and they forget that sometimes things do change. Um, And I I wanted to start with beer commercials, but what we're seeing now, Tony, and I'm talking with Tony Mendez, bayarealonsource.com, and this this upsets me a little bit, and you're going, does it really upset you, or are you just saying that because it's good television or good radio when you say that it upsets you? Um, So... I saw the story this week that San Francisco is losing more residents than any other city in the United States, creating a shortage of U-Hauls. So if you were to rent a U-Haul to go to Vegas, it's going to cost you about $2,000. If you were to rent a, a U-Haul from Vegas to San Francisco, you know what it's going to cost you? $1,000. 100. 100 okay. So it's all about supply and demand. People are moving out of here pretty damn fast. Um, and I'm like, okay. And then I saw the story. San Francisco housing is so expensive that middle-class workers are moving into dorms with shared bathrooms. And I'm like, that's a compromise because it's, it's saying, you know, here's a 35 year old person who's making $90,000 a year. Who's living in a dorm style, you know, you get a private room. They have, they pay for someone to come change the toilet paper and put soap in the kitchen and stuff like that. Um, set up game nights, a company called star city. Um, it's a little less than renting your own apartment, but not much, but to me, that's a compromise. Okay. Now here's the jump and tell me if you're, you're with me, I would never want to be a 35 year old making compromises or 40 year old making compromises, but I get it. I'm with you on that one. Um, You see that, you know, that company in Houston who flies their attorneys from Houston to San Francisco, they charge billable hours while they're on the flight. They rent an office here. They're like, we're not going to play another game. They're like, we're not going to compromise. Okay. So do you remember back in the start of the first real estate boom in 2000s? Where it just seemed like the standards went down. You worked with a, a mortgage lender who, honestly, if you were to put water on him, it would have gone st- straight off his body. Like he was, he was a slicky, oily guy. Like none of it's going to get absorbed onto his skin. Um, he knew he would look at you and go, "How much do you make?" And you' would answer, you go, "150." He goes, "No, no, no. Next time I ask that question, you say, 250, 250." Um, so compromises started getting made with the truth. People who lie alone started becoming popular it, it,
2: for the record that all originated on the lender side where we would literally sit in the office with a stack of files and just wait for our lenders to walk in the door and go, what do you got for us? And we Passing the file. he goes. I can do this. I can do this. Can't do that. I can do this. I can do this. Can't do that. Uh, they would also come in and train us on like what products would make us more money, as opposed to what would help the client more. So th- th- that has definitely changed. Comp- that, that's done a whole reversal, okay. uh, you know, with qualified mortgages, ability to repay, and and things
1: like that. But I think we got into a housing crisis in two thousand six, two thousand eight, because the buildup. We were making way too many compromises with quality, with honesty, with product and i'm asking you do you see the compromises people are making in the bay area like maybe we have hit a top of the market when people are willing to live in dormitories for, when- for the,
2: yeah so for the and i'll start off first by saying for the record uh, that's one of my top reasons why I don't think there's going to be any kind of big downturn if there is because of the the way people who uh, the owners that ha- are in houses now and the way they've qualified for their refinances and their purchases is completely different than it was leading up to 2006 and 7 so I'll start off by saying that but yes I th- I do think people are making compromises but I also think that news is is It's like talking about new home builders. New home builders represent, like, a very small portion of the United States. But yet, you know, everybody goes, oh, I want to talk about new home sales and new home, you know. Contracts and all that stuff. When it really isn't that big of a picture, the majority of the people that we see in the Bay Area are 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 doing well. They're they're making good money. They're well employed. Um, they figured out how to work with their self employed taxes. They've they've talked to their CPAs. They've talked to their loan officers, and they make things work. Now, the sacrifices that I I don't like seeing people make are you know. Are you going to be 35 or 40 years old? You're thinking about planning a family, but you have to live in a shared a shared dormitory type of place. Isn't that what you did in college to, when you went to college so you could get a job to get out of that? Uh, and now you know but that's part of the whole everything's changing rob uh we're seeing places in San Francisco and New York and Chicago that are that uh developers are building massive buildings where they have communal places to eat and and to shower and and go to the bathroom and um and hold parties but then you go back in your little 800 500 square foot room and that's where all your computer is and personal stuff is and you watch TV and go to sleep um and you could do that maybe when you're single or a couple and but it's it's such I think such a small part of the market that I think that story is kind of bloated a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying that millennials aren't willing to settle for less because clearly we know their eating habits are changing the restaurant industry and the grocery industry. Um, so maybe they're willing to say I'm willing to live in a four hundred square foot room as maybe long that's as I have a shared s- kitchen. That's maybe why you drive up
2: 101 and all you see are condos going up. It's because that that's people are looking for. You know what's surprising the me it's not the, the condos that freak me out. It's the hotels. I think people are going to get freaked out about it. the traffic. It's already bad, and you're adding 800 units there, 800 units there, 800 units there. That's 800, you know, what's that, 2,400 uh, more cars.
1: But uh, they don't have cars. They have uh, Ubers and flying vehicles and drones taking them to work. <laughs> That'll be fun, right? Well, no, I, what I'm trying to get at, in let's see if you have an opinion on this. Do you see a correlation where we got into a housing market bubble where people shouldn't have been buying houses in 2006 with loans that they should never have qualified for? Um, Is there a parallel with people are making sacrifices that we should never, ever make? Because once we make them, we can't go back. Um, And it becomes kind of a norm. We're seeing a little bit of that on the mortgage side, where
2: lenders go, "Oh, we'll go up to fifty-five percent debt ratios. We'll let you borrow two and a half million dollars with ten percent down, with no mortgage insurance, and a six eighty credit score." So, yeah, we're seeing that. Um, But those are the people who are making money. Money. Yeah, you still have to qualify. You can't state your income. You you can do a bank statement. There's a lender came out the other day. You can do a two month bank statement program. That means you're self employed. You show me two months of of ten thousand a month deposit boom you make ten thousand dollars a month so yeah we're seeing
1: some of that so is there a coming. correlation that we're hitting a high because yes sacrifice but, but i think there's actually more room you can find tony at bayarealoansource.com it's bayarealoansource.com he's doing my loan right now for a getaway want the podcast with music Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. How about the Millennial Tower? Not the Millennial Tower, the Millennium Tower. Slightly different. In San Francisco that has that uneven base and is slanting ever so slightly and uh, has kind of been problematic for some homeowners. Uh, that bought into the place. What if you were a developer on that? I can't tell you how many times. Well, I can't tell you how many times. I have a nine-fingered hand. On one hand, I can tell you how many times people have approached me about investing in real estate with them at the development level. I'm like, that can be kind of risky. But they're like, but it's big payoff. Big payoff. And they get kind of very, you know, um, Tonka uh, from Lost lost World, Lost uh, Land of the Lost. Meet Tonka. 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 You remember Chaka? Yeah. So, I always wanted Chaka. Mike, look up Chaka from Land of the Lost. I always wanted Chaka to live with me. He was like this weird little kid in a hairy suit. Kind of looked like a dog. (laughs) That was the Croft Entertainment. Um, But that's neither here nor there. So, Chaka. People um, who develop real estate, they get kind of like, Chaka, boom, on Big money, big money, big money. But the people in the Millennium Tower, probably not. So happy that they invested in that project. I don't think, I think that's a
2: kind of a once in a lifetime event for especially San Francisco. Yep. Um, there's all the really good developments going up. Uh, I recently looked down the street and I see five or six cranes going up now. And that's a site we're going to see more and more often. We're seeing some. Old buildings getting torn down, new buildings put up. There's a lot, of, like Oakland, for example, there's a lot of construction going in there. And I like that. I like to see that kind of revitalization um, happening. What they're doing with it, I, I have no clue. Um, I want to. I but yeah, I wouldn't be afraid of, of being a big uh, developer. The land is land is expensive, but so are rents. Rents right now are, are rocking, and, and people are looking for places out of expensive places like San Francisco
1: um, to. You just to put their office. Oakland and Cranes. I want to live in Oakland when. All the poor people move out. <laughs> can you send me a postcard? <laughs> Just a joke. joke. <laughs> I want to live in Richmond, California when all the crack dealers are gone. <laughs> Rob's if they the mayor of Richmond. It's tough. You can afford where uh, things have to shift. Things have to change. Or things do change. Uh, there's a lot of changes going on right now. Um, yeah, it's funny it, because I, I live on the peninsula. And the peninsula has had garden doses up to the East Bay and... South Bay and Peninsula had their noses up. To the South Bay, we're like, we're closer to San Francisco and the San Jose. Yet yeah, every other call I get is,
2: uh, where's a good place to buy in the East Bay? I can't afford a place in the Peninsula. Right. Yeah. So that's where everybody's moving, and they're moving east. Right. In the so West so. is played out, going towards the ocean. Um, San Francisco is played out, unless you're looking for a small condo. Right. Or a very, very expensive um, a row house or one floor of a row house. It's a changing environment. Um, I think people are adapting though pretty well. I think lenders uh, from the lending point of view have adapted very, very well. Um, there's a lot of new products out. Uh, uh, lenders are open to uh, a lot of people looking at condos have problems with litigations. We just talked to a client who was trying to sell his property, but he can't. And every pro every property has gone down about a hundred thousand dollars because, nobody's can get financing on it but lenders are coming up and saying you just need a little bit more down payment 25 percent, and we can get you a, a loan with a litigation so lenders are adapting more products are hitting the market um and that really is uh, regardless of rates it is really what pushes real estate and that's products that's why we saw the boom in 2000 to 2007
1: i'm with you so, I saw Antonio Mendez is a mortgage lender, and he's helping me do a second mortgage in a year. Oh, my, my, my. Probably fifth mortgage, six mortgage of all time right now, because that's what we're doing. Um, excuse me. Buying a home in America is the most affordable it's been since 1980. I saw this on Trulia the other day. I'm like, I wonder if that's going to be like a Robert De Niro, Cape Fear laugh. That that the next thing I'm going to go when I say out loud on the radio, buying a home in America is the most affordable it's been since 1980. And I could just hear Robert De Niro laughing like he did in Cape Fear. <laughs> no, not close. No, work on that, Mike. Work on that, Robert De Niro laughing, Cape Fear. Those aren't selling it for me. Only three of the hundred largest metros: Denver, Miami, and Portland, Oregon, have become less affordable since 1990. Mortgage rates have dropped, which increases long-term affordability for homeowners. Rising mortgage rates and new tax laws, which reduce the mortgage interest deduction cap, could threaten affordability. Okay, so there was a line there. Mortgage rates have dropped, which increases long-term affordability for homeowners. I've said that for years, right? Yeah. It's how much you... You don't care what your interest rate is. It's how much you can afford. Whatever your payment is, yeah. So I've got a mortgage at three and a quarter percent that the payment's so low that... If I were to try to put someone in the same square footage with a higher mortgage rate, they'd be like, that's a different home. Like, I'll pay $3,500 for that home, but then you get a higher interest rate, and they're like, I'm not paying $4,500 a month for that home. So that's one of the things that changes when interest rates move higher and the Federal Reserve does their thing. Are you seeing any fear, any movement right now from people with uh, higher interest rates? Like, I've seen one or two emails, not many, of, should I buy now before interest rates go higher?
2: Oh, Absolutely.
1: Um, you know, being able to lock into a thirty-year fix
2: while still in the force is definitely something to consider. You have to remember that the average rate in the United States over forever has been about six point two five. So we're still below the average rate. Uh, we're not. Too, we're only about one point off of the lowest rates that we've ever seen, and and that's not a big deal. Um, you know, going back to that article, there there are reports saying that yes, rates could actually go up even in the, the mid fives and upper fives, and it's And not affect the affordability for the median-priced home with the median-priced income, with 20% down at the average rate, and that kind of thing. So, affordability is definitely the issue. Um, But, you know, you look at a place like, why isn't Bay Area on that list? You know, since 1992, you know, 2018, 28 years, why, why is San Francisco Bay Area not getting less affordable that's because of incomes incomes are there yes rates are down uh, there's a lot of equities a lot more uh, what we are seeing more of is more down payment we're seeing a lot more um Shared incomes, a lot more shared down payments, a lot of gift down payments, uh, parents selling their houses, gifting over. We're also seeing parent-to-child transfers and grandparent-to-child transfers for, um, for you know the, proper, uh, the, the tax basis that is helping people afford houses. Um, we're seeing a lot of that. So uh, again, people are adapting.
1: So low mortgage rates help people buy homes. And one of the things I did back in the 1990s when I was an uh, investment advisor starting to uh, run money for people was that I had a chart behind me that showed the Dow Jones industrial average over the last hundred years. And it starts in the lower, lower left corner. And it's almost a 45 degree angle, not 45, let's say 35 degree angle up next hundred years. And in it, you can't see World War I dipping, World War II. You don't see the recession. You don't see the 60s, stagnation, stagflation. You don't see oil prices in the 80s where people are lined up. You don't see the 16.6% mortgage rate in 1981. You don't see World War One, World War II, Korea. You don't see, like, you, over 100 years, you just see this move up. You know what you should put in your office to motivate people to buy mortgages and uh, invest in real estate? A chart that says, mortgages here they were back in 1981 at 16.6% and here they are oh look at that they go down to three and a half percent but they bounce back to four four and a quarter that's not bad we're not at 16.6% in 1981 yeah. don't you wish you would have bought a house at 16.6% you are like woo! Because yeah. it dropped from 166 all the way down to 4, 5, 6%,
2: well, uh, housing affordability. Uh, where a lot of people fear, Rob, is, yeah, 16.6% interest rate, but homes were, I mean, my dad's house was $83,000. He sold it for $700,000 in 2006, and he bought it in, in 79. And he went through those phases of low interest rates, but, I'm sorry, the higher interest rates, but now interest rates are lower, prices are going up. Yes, incomes are up, but you, you look back at some of the stats we saw. That we're looking at at incomes that we saw uh, uh, inflation adjusted twenty five year, uh, what we saw twenty five years ago.
1: Okay, so, so let me, let,
2: you're looking at 1993 incomes, yeah. but lower interest rates. That's why we're seeing well, uh, higher. Let me reread home this headlines. So let me reread these that, headlines now. But wait, people fear that the interest rates go up and the prices will go down, and that's
1: natural. A rat suckered you into a trap. American homes, here was the headline, American homes are more affordable than they were 40 years ago, but that could change sooner than you think. Buying a home in America is more affordable than it's been since 1980. Mortgage rates have dropped, which increases long-term affordability. Only three of 100 largest metro areas, Denver, Miami, and Portland, have become less affordable since 1990. So the rub here was mortgage rates were at 16.6%. It's not a fair statistic. Everything became more affordable because we marched from 16.6%. you are saying because they picked a point in time where it was the most right. expensive. Almost, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's unfair. It's a statistic that just makes me want to compare it to 1998, and, and it may not pan out that way. You are correct, sir. You are correct. Before correct. there we go. Before Robert De Niro, he's laughing at you. I love doing that. You know, it's kind of funny because Robert De Niro does that in the movie uh, at a movie theater. I do it at a job <laughs> where I'm just watching. I'm working out on a treadmill. and I go. Ah! <laughs> anyway, parts unknown. You know the video game? Nope. Player unknown. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it starts with 100 people in a plane, right? Here's my, my, my fix for America. You put old people in a plane, you do it for real. You put people who don't pay taxes in a plane, criminals, life sentences, drop them on an island. The one person who gets off out of 100 gets to come back in, live in California. Amnesty. So it's Tony Mendez. You can find him at Bay Area Loan Source. Mortgage rates are not at 16.6%. They're at a still very historical low. Now is a good time to think about it, especially when there's calamity in the markets and people get fearful. That's when rates drop. And you can take advantage of that. Anyhow, and anyway, you can find Tony Mendez at Bay Area Source.com. It's Bay Area Source.com. I'm going to be on that big planet treasure trap island that's floating in the Pacific. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Chipotle's had a mess on their hands, but they've recently figured out that DoorDash can get burritos sold, not in your store, but to your customers in your area and to their house. Ding dong, DoorDash. (laughs) I know you're saying that's horrible. And you'd be correct. So I grew up in a world that diet and exercise were the two things that – those were the pillars of, of good health, right? A good diet and good exercise. But I grew up in that world. Get Forgive me because we've also recently learned maybe there's other pillars of good health. And I don't know. I don't want to go too, too far into this. But in the world of investing, you get into a lot of trouble when you, you're like – Things are good. The stock market always goes up. I've got $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, $4 million. I got 100000 200000 And you kind of get into that, right? And you kind of like, every, things are good. So you look at the pillars of your, your future. You look at the pillars of your job. You look at the pillars of your, your budget. But the two pillars of, of health has been exercise and diet. Now there's a new one out there that they're making you stop and think about. Meditation. Is meditation part of a healthier lifestyle? I regularly meditate twice plus a day. Um, And I would tell you, like, I would probably be doing gummy marijuana or I would probably be drinking. I would probably find some sort of thing to release stress and anxiety if it wasn't meditation. I love meditation. It helps me. I'm not saying it's going to help you, but it's it's a pillar of my health. But even let's forget meditation because that's not accepted yet. There's now a study, there's studies out there that say taking saunas is associated with a more than 60% reduction in stroke risk. This grows questions, right? You're like, okay, who can afford a sauna, who can't afford a sauna, both hot and cold. So we're starting to learn that extreme temperatures can be healthy for you. Why do people jump into ice rivers? You know, Tony Robbins. I'm Tony Robbins. Ah, ah, ah. For some reason, he sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger to be in an action film. Right? So, he's like, I take an ice bath every day. Ah, Tony Robbins. I'll be back. And he's got that same Schwarzenegger kind of action hero busted mouth. I'll be back. I have no respect for Tony Robbins. Uh, If he ever wants to do good and give everyone money back that went to his seminars that didn't go on to become winners, then maybe... Maybe. I'm not a big seminar, you know, uh, do-it-yourself kind of rah-rah-rah. Like one of the, the, the tricks that they do is walking on fire. But it doesn't take a smart person to learn that you can't walk on fire without burning your feet. So what you do is you learn that some things freeze at different temperatures. Some things burn at different temperatures. You learn this in chemistry, right? Um, some sort of science class growing up. I hope you did. So they use, they use a wood that doesn't get quite as hot, so you're able to walk on it. Woo, isn't that great? On the coals? No, no, it's not great. It doesn't mean you're going to wake up and be no! in So we're learning one more pillar is that you can cut your chance of a stroke by 60% by sitting in a sauna. Now, that's kind of interesting because a sauna typically warms your body up Um when I go to the gym and if I'm playing basketball or something, if I want to stretch for 10, 15 minutes before the exercise, that's great. If not, I'll go into the sauna and stretch a little bit just get my blood flowing. All right, all right, all right. That would be a dry sauna. I don't know the difference between dry saunas and wet saunas, but we now are starting to learn like temperature extremes have something. If it doesn't kill you, maybe it makes you better. Maybe it doesn't, but it doesn't kill you. So you're seeing people take – you know, uh, big old recycling bins and and filling them up with ice water. And you see people like LeBron James getting the cryotherapy rooms that, you know, drops your temperature. So we're starting to say there's a new way of thinking about things. And I, I like that. And I hate that because for me, and I know you're saying, please make this all about you. I like that. And I hate that because for me, uh, we're talking about something along the lines of, Um, we have to change the way we think so that we don't get caught up and kind of stuck in your ways because it's easy to to do that. And like, it's easy to say GE is always going to be GE. It'll always come back or tech stocks are the right place to be forever. Um, I've got credit card rewards and so far everything's gone great in my life. It'll always be that way. So when you start to learn to look outside the box and say, What's up with this cold water, hot water thing? Maybe there, – and you start seeing studies that you can reduce your chance of stroke. I mean, shouldn't we all be sitting in a sauna now for 10 to 15 minutes a day getting our, our extreme heat warmed up? It seems like it. California is due for a mega flood. Have you heard this story recently? First and foremost, do you have flood insurance? Have you checked your insurance? Do you know anything about your insurance? You know that they actually have people who work at call centers who will answer your questions, so all you have to do is put in your little AirPods, walk around the house, do some dishes, and talk to someone about your insurance and see, see where you are? California's due for a mega flood. It's going to take out $725 billion in damage. This is according to a report from the U.S. Geological Survey. Now, do you think the people in, in Arkansas and Mississippi are going to be as loving to us when we have a flood as we are to them when they've got tornadoes? So... When you hear about SF Airport and going to be underwater in 100 years, what's that do for the real estate value there? Good question. You should ask questions before you lose the ability to. Rental bubbles. Rents are just fun things to study. The more rental signs you see out there, the tougher the rental market. Are you with me? If you see a sign advertising for lease, for rent... It, it tells you that, A, someone left unexpectedly, and B, someone wasn't lined up right after that person left, and C, landlords hate that because they're missing rent. The median asking rent for a one-bedroom apartment in the U.S. rose 1.4% in April. Now, some markets are obviously calmer, and some markets are obviously more explosive. But the median asking rent for one-bedroom apartments rose 1.4%. For two-bedroom apartments, it's rose two point two percent. So one-bedroom runs about eleven hundred a month, almost twelve hundred. A two-bedroom apartment in the United States about fourteen twenty-two. So the median asking rent for one-bedroom apartment suddenly surged by double digits in November. So there's kind of like an uneven chop going on here, and the market's not quite ready for it. And there's a lot more for rent signs going up. The most expensive city, obviously, to rent in the United States, San Francisco. One-bedroom apartment rose 2.1% year-over-year to $3,400. But it peaked in October 2015 when it was $4,500. So 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and we haven't had peak rents. In fact, they're starting to come lower. But they're, they're trying to climb back, but they've been lower for three years. So you're you're not you're not keeping up with inflation. You're kinda of bouncing around after hitting a top. And that's got people worried. One of the biggest questions I see out there is when I get married, should I keep my money together or separate from my spouse? It's a good question. That's up to you. I'm not your your nanny. Money is a common source of stress. Couples think that they need to share everything from spit to bodily secretions to babies to, you know, let's split the decision on like where we live. let's like you, you don't have to split everything and it may be too stressful for you. You need to be able to talk about everything, but you may not have to split everything or share everything. Every good marriage is based on some separation. I think it's important that you be able to vacation on your own. I think it's important that you have friends on your own. And I think at times it's o- it's okay to have money on your own and not to be like, Constantly, you know, running like I wonder if I should go out and buy myself a two hundred dollar fur coat. I know you're saying two hundred dollar fur coat, it's made out of real rat fur. Which would it be uncool to wear a rat skin jacket? Probably, right? No way. But I think two bank accounts can be better than one. I don't think it has to be all or nothing. I think it should be some co joined and co mingled. Some of your finances are unavoidably intertwined. When you share a home, you know, you can't have one person paying it and not the other. So I think that should be, you know, conjoined on some level. So, yeah, I I think, you know, talking about money and keeping things separate, I I get it. And I think one of the flaws is that we live in worlds where we grow up thinking, I wonder if Cinderella shared her taxes with Prince Charming. I wonder. I wonder who did their taxes. Would she have been disappointed to learn that he wasn't really a prince? It was just a title? And then he actually didn't have any land or any 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 buildings